as you hear these verses out of Hebrews, one of the things that I keep hoping that we do, and I think we do this, is that we engage in these scriptures. And there are certain points, particularly of this scripture, that may be difficult or that we may disagree with, but there is a point at the end which describes so beautifully, beautifully what I think worship is. So listen to these words this morning as Melinda reads out of the letter to the Hebrews. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Holy wisdom, holy word. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? And again, look at this. Where can God be worshipped? Who is there to worship God? And this is the end of a very familiar story out of the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is for the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now and it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks us such as these to worship him. Mm. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. just want to say thank you to Chris who is stepping in for Alan today. Chris, thanks for being here again. Good to see you. The NFL draft. All right, let's try something else. The Seattle Mariners. Okay, that's a little more response. It's interesting, in, in, in watching the Mariners, I mean, watching the NFL draft, the reason I brought it up is because for these young men who are now headed into the NFL, they have no clue where they're headed. And what is going to happen eventually with these young men is that they're going to step in and see just exactly how much they do not know. And what those coaches are going to be telling them, as will the old veterans tell them, is back to the fundamentals over and over and over and over again. It is constantly for these young men back to the fundamentals. I listened to, back to the Mariners for a second, I listened to this uh, interview with uh, Miguel Olivo, uh, their catcher. And he was, he was hitting at some point like 116. And for those that don't know baseball, I apologize. 116 is really, really bad. I mean, really bad. But what he did in this one interview was he was able to describe everything about his approach to batting. Every approach as he went to the plate, everything that he could take and was able, as he broke it down with his hitting coach, find those places where he was not doing it correctly. 
what's been interesting is once he's gone back to the fundamentals, he's hitting much, much better. Fundamentals are a key, key element, not only in sport, but with each of us in our spiritual lives and particularly when it comes to being the church. About six years ago, a group of about 14 of us gathered together because uh, we had kind of met in a number of different places and letters of invitation went out. And and we came together from a variety of backgrounds, some coming out of kind of business research and others coming out of educational research, some coming out of family systems theory and a variety of other places, including the church. All of us were mainline Christians, all of us deeply concerned about this seeming steady decline that's, that's been happening in mainline Christendom. And we thought it, 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 what it became was more like a think tank. And trying to figure out if there were things that if we brought it together that could assist the church, all, and I say this in the most humble way, all approaching this prayerfully, carefully, but believing that somebody needs to step in and begin to turn this thing around. And we're not, we're not confident enough to believe that we are the answer to that. But I'll tell you what happened in exploring a variety of programs, lo- focusing on a variety of things, particularly around success or vitality. What began to emerge out of about 25 programs that we were exploring were correlates, those things that became consistent, particularly within the church, things that, if implemented, would create would create, not could create, would create health and vitality. What was so interesting about this study is one of the things that we found was that uh, in in looking at a variety, about 100 different churches, some of which were in decline and some which were moving toward kind of um, success, whatever that means, is that those churches that concentrated solely on growing, and there was a move a number of years ago that, that it was all about growth. Now, I will tell you right now, the bishop's gone, so I can be honest. Uh, the bishop and I have had this ongoing, Dorothy will tell you, almost 20-year debate about the fact that you can't just simply say to a church you need to grow. Part of the motivation around this group gathering was a response to what we see in bishops everywhere saying that the goal of the United Methodist Church is to grow. I could not more soundly disagree with that statement than anything. The goal of any church is to be vital. It is to be vital. It is to be healthy. And what we found in this study was out of vitality and health and encouragement will naturally come growth. But growth does not just simply mean numbers. Growth means depth. It means depth. So, as we look back at the study, what we came up with were 10 essentials, is what we call them. We all kind of came out of scouts, too. 10 essentials to church vitality and health. Worship was number three on the list, but I thought it was important that we start with that one here at Aldersgate. The other thing about coaching is that you know that then you take individual athletes and and try and, and encourage them to get better and better and better. It is so for pastors as well to look at a church and continue to encourage it to examine itself and get better and better and better, to recognize those things that we do really well 
and go to work on those things where we need some help and some focus. I asked for service this morning. Why do you get up so early on a Sunday morning to gather in a room, a red, red room? (laughs) Why is it that you come to this place? And I would assume that in this service, the same kinds of answers would come forth. First and foremost, it is to experience God. And the hope is that somehow we experience God when we walk into this place. But maybe it seemed as of equal importance to those gathered there, and I would assume the same is for you, that you come to be together with each other. Those folks that you have grown to love and respect And in the midst of that, to surround each other with love and grace, to encourage each other. And as it said, I love the word that is used in that Hebrew scripture, provoke. Provoke each other toward getting better at this thing called faith. Isn't that why we come together for worship? But I would be willing to also guarantee you that if I was to ask every one of you that question, that what I would get is 80 different answers from this service. That you all come to this service for something a little different. And I want to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But there are elements that must tie a worship service together. Absolutely must. And they can readily fall into four areas. And this comes out of a very ancient pattern. First service, we sang a song called Ancient of Days which talks about how important the understanding of some of the ancients may be because that's part of what carries us forward. But these four elements are this, that we gather. That's number one, that we gather. But the danger is when we talk about gathering that what we think that means is that we gather as soon as we walk through the doors of the church. When in fact what will change the worship experience for you is you think about that gathering as soon as you get out of bed on Sunday morning. Okay, yeah, go brush your teeth first. Go have some breakfast. But even over those times, think about where you're headed. Think about what you might expect and experience and prepare yourselves as you get into your car or as you walk down the street. And allow that to deepen in you as you approach the front doors. And do you know that the whole purpose of that gathering area, the narthex out there, the purpose is... That's a transitional room. That's a room where once you step in there, you are kind of letting go of those things out there as you move toward experiencing God in deeper ways in here. And what I ask of you is when you move into that room, is particularly then you prepare yourselves. Yeah, greet those that you need to greet, but remember the design of that room is simply this to prepare, to transition, to come in. The gathering also happens when we come into worship and we we see each other and we greet each other and you hear the announcements of what's going on in the body and then you stand and turn and greet one another in the name of Christ because we are in a Christian environment here. And then the gathering kind of comes to a conclusion with that first hymn that begins to make a transition toward the second piece, which is hearing God's word. But don't get caught up that that hearing God's word is simply when it's read in the scripture. 
The hearing God's word portion happens in a variety of places. We hear God's word when we sing hymns. But we need to engage in those hymns. The danger of a how great thou art is we know it so well that we forget what the words say. I'll get back to that in just a second. But then we hear God's word as you hear children's moments, even when we do a little liturgical dance. Cha-cha-cha. We hear God's word when the scripture is read. We hear God's word when the choir sings and responds. We hear God's word as we sing a response to the scriptures. We hear God's word, hopefully, when you hear a message from the pastor. But then there comes a point, and it really begins during this time of worship, that number three takes place, and that is responding to God's word. It is vital, vital, that we respond. Otherwise, all this is is a show. You come in some speaking engagement, and some guy is up there just speaking, and there is little engagement. Responding to God's word is you saying, you know what, as I read that Hebrew scripture, there are some pieces of that that I struggle with. Or as you hear the story at the end of the woman at the well, and you can relate to that as you respond to that, or if you hear pieces of the sermon that engage you in ways, whether it's positive or negative or challenging or whatever it may be, that is part of the responding to God's word, and that response must be carried out from this place. Also, in responding to God's word, that's why we pass an offering plate after the sermon. And oh, by the way, guess what? You don't put in just if you like the sermon. (laughs) Or put in less because I can't stand what that pastor said. This is responding to our call to ministry. Responding to God's word. But then comes that other key element. We're sent forth. That's number four. We're sent forth. We take what we've learned and we take the passion and the engagement and we take it out of these doors and we transition back through the narthex and back to the parking lot and into our cars and on into the world. And friends, we are living in a world of such significant need that here and now. And if we're not responding that way, if we're not being sent forth, then somehow, and feel as though we're sent forth, somehow we're failing as a church. We must, must, must get that that is also what worship is about. The essential is important. The words that are connected to worship are these. Worship that is inspirational. Worship that is motivational. Worship that is engaging. And worship that is excellent. Those are the four key pieces of that worship essential. All four of those are vitally important, and the churches that get those four pieces are going to be more vital and healthier. So that begs the question, doesn't it? Where are we? Where are we? Would you say that we are, in worship, inspirational? And believe me, it better move well beyond who's standing at this pulpit. Are we inspirational? Do you feel motivated by what happens? Is it engaging? And engaging in a traditional service is completely different than engaging in a non-traditional service. And the key question, here's the key question. 
at every level, at every transition, at every piece, is it excellent? Is it excellent? And so I ask you again, where are we? One more thing. What's so interesting, and I'm going to come away from this for a second. As you know, as a pastor comes into a church, not ever quite sure what to expect. And what we call this service is traditional. But what's so interesting is, what in the world does traditional mean? You know, does that mean that the pastor wears a robe? What does it mean? Does that mean it has a choir with robes? Does it have to do simply with the organ that that's played? Until a church comes to terms with the fact of what traditional is for them. I mean, I, I was talking to Jack Morrison after, after first service, and he said, you know what really is traditional is, is the old bush arbor services, where you'd go out in the country and you grab a bunch of bushes and you create a square, and that's your worship center, and everybody brings in a chair or they sit on the ground, and, and, and it's just a family kind of gathered together with, with, with interesting music. I say, well, no, no, that's not traditional. Traditional is, is one of my favorite churches, which is All Saints Episcopal Church in Pasadena, California. And it is as high church as it gets. And by high church, what I mean is there's this huge processional, and, and the music is just overwhelming in its grandeur, and there's such awe, and there, there are transitions that are practiced over and over, and there's always a confession, and there's always you know, the Lord's Prayer, and there's always the Apostles' Creed. Isn't that traditional? You're sitting in a space that is anything but traditional. Do you realize that? And what makes it less traditional is the fact that it's a mixture. And again, I've said this before, of pews and chairs. The fact that it really is only one color. The fact of the formation, the way it's set up, the way that this chancel is set up, even. So here's my question to you. What are those absolute, essential, traditional elements for you? What is it about this service that helps you worship? How are you feeling about all of this? How are you feeling about the room, the sanctuary? How are you feeling about the chairs or the pews. How do you feel about this setup? And it's time to explore. Absolutely time to begin to re-explore again what we might do with this worship experience. What's interesting is too, in, in, in preparing these sermons, is there comes a point, and this is that point where my conversation with first service is going to be completely different than my conversation with second service. When we look at the tradition, we need to examine it with those four elements in mind. What's so interesting in conversations with many of you is how many of you long potentially for one service. And yet, friends, we can't go there. We simply can't. Because part of our role in this place is to be able to invite those folks who have yet to find us into a place and create something for which they will find worshipful comfort and recognition. 
It was interesting in Ola's service last Sunday afternoon, one of the things that came up was she loved this church because it just felt like it was United Methodist. Well, what does that mean? Well, we need to come to terms with that. But what we need to have is an opportunity to engage. And what I keep hearing from you about having two services is that it feels like it's two separate congregations. Well, here's the rub with that. To some extent, it is at this point. But that needs to change. We need to be one congregation that worships in two different ways. So how do we do that? How do we re-engage with each other in a way where we feel like we are one congregation who chooses to worship in two ways? I've shared with you about Auburn. We chose to worship in four ways. We had four services at that church. But there were so many opportunities for the church to come together as one body that they celebrated the fact that they were not only filling each other's needs by being the body of Christ, but they were filling the needs of those in that church and potentially even in the community by worshiping in four very distinctive ways. I'm not saying we need to have four worship services. But I am saying we need to have at least two. But we've got to get better about finding ways to be together. And that's one of the things you're going to hear in about five weeks, because guess what? That's another of the essentials, that we feel like we're one body taking care of each other. We have work to do. We have work to do in both worship services. And I close with this. Coaches always bring in assistance, and I don't like the word because it means too many lower than. That's not the point. But I will tell you that Staff Parish met last week and unanimously supported a recommendation that I brought to bring in a coach. A coach will help us look at worship from a variety of perspectives in this church. A four-month contract that would cost about $2,500. And oh, by the way, guess who that coach is? Reverend Shannon Hamrick. What's interesting, all, that's all I said at first service, is that we're looking at adopting this and, and it's gone to finance and finance is going to then explore it. Within 15 minutes of the end of worship, John, there's $2,500. $2,500 is already in place with more to come if we need it. Four people stepped up to me afterwards, one with $1,000, one that said, I'll match anything that the church gives, anyone else in the church. One with a $1,250 and one with $250. That was immediate, Shannon. Immediate. Within 15 minutes of the end of worship. So lest you believe that you're going to get off the hook. <laughs> with the finance chair sitting here and staff Paris chair was at first service, I'm going to come in about a month and ask for another assistant coach. This one around pastoral care. And if you feel you want to support something like that, then we'll have that conversation. But that has to clear through finance and staff parish first. You are an amazing group. We can get better. So again, let me just close with this thought. Is this the right configuration for traditional service? Is this the right setting? 
Is this the right kind of set? Are these the right colors? I've talked to Shannon and talked to others about the fact that if you look around this sanctuary, what I see is an almost empty canvas waiting for phenomenal creativity that engages us in a traditional way that may be even a little unexpected. And so we're bringing in the coach, and she's going to help us out with this. Finally, here's the other thing I'm asking of you. As you think about this worship service, the traditional service at Aldersgate United Methodist Church, here's what I need to ask you to do. I need to ask you to pray about what this service might become beyond what we're doing right now. I need you to have conversations with each other about that. Whether it's at the Tuesday morning men's breakfast or at a gathering of women or wherever you are, engage, begin again to engage in conversations about that. And the third thing I need you to do is to write. I need it in written form. What are your thoughts and dreams and hopes and desires and fears? And fears. This is our traditional service. What does that mean? Will you pray with me? God, I praise you for this church, this place where we can have open conversations and a place where it's time to dream again, time to hope again, time to look again and examine ourselves again, time to bring in folks who can help us with these questions and help us with these dreams. I want to just ask that you encourage and undergird us through this process as we explore worship from here moving forward. We have to have this service because there are folks in here and folks out there for whom traditional worship is that place where they can worship best. I ask your anointing on these who are here this morning that as they pray, as they think, as they talk, and as they write, that you would help us move in a direction that enhances what is already here. All this we ask in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.